I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Lindsay Cameron worked as a corporate lawyer for many years in Vancouver and New York City before leaving the law behind to write books. Her debut, Big Law, was optioned for film by Paramount and named a Best Book of the Year by Good Housekeeping, Red Book, and Harper's Bazaar, among others. Her suspense debut, Just One Look, was published in 2021, and the New York Times called it Delicious and Marvelously Controlled, a Wild Ride of a Novel, one of the most viscerally accurate renderings of corporate law in recent fiction. Her latest thriller, No One Needs to Know, hit shelves in May. Lindsay lives in New York City, where she is currently at work on her next book. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I still remember where I was when I listened to the audiobook of your first novel, Big Law. Going back to that whole write what you know, in your former career, you worked as an attorney. Had you worked for a law firm like the one in Big Law? It was very (laughs) similar, and it was definitely the inspiration for Big Law. When the Devil Wears Prada came out. And I remember thinking that like the fashion industry has nothing on law firms. Like if they think they have like an absurd world, a New York corporate firm is really absurd. Late one night, I thought somebody should write a book about it. And it was sort of just like a light bulb moment where I was like, I should write a book about it. I'm Grab- that girl. <laughs> I'm the girl. I'm going to, I'll be the one who does it. I grabbed a notebook and just wrote down a lot of the stuff that I had you know, witnessed in meetings or heard from other coworkers. And I kept writing in that notebook probably for about a year while I was still working there. And then sort of hit the point where I was thinking, if I don't leave and write the book, it was sort of a now or never moment. I could not find the time while working because it is long hours. And so I just decided to leave the firm and give it a go and write that book. So it was definitely the inspiration for the book. How long did it take you to write it? Oh, that one took a long time because I had a new baby soon afterwards. So like in terms of the actual, you know, writing in earnest time was probably between a year and a year and a half, but that was spread out maybe over two and a half years, because there was times when the baby wasn't sleeping, I'd be shelving it and not doing any writing. And that could happen for months at a time. So uh, that that one took me quite a quite a while. You switched genres with your next novel, just one mm-hmm. look. Tell us about this change. Well, when I was writing Big Law, my agent at the time told me, I'd like you to pace it like a thriller. And I didn't read a lot of thrillers at the time. So I wasn't sure what she meant in terms of the pacing So I went and I got a bunch of thrillers like Caroline Kepnes and Stephen King and Patricia Highsmith and really studied the genre. The the pacing um, just really blew me away. Like the, the short chapters, the cliffhanger endings, that feeling of you can't put the book down. I just really loved it. And I also loved the dark side as well. (laughs) And so while I was reading those, I just thought I want my next book to be in this genre. It was too late to, you know, switch around Big Law. We were too far down the road. I changed the pacing of Big Law, but I decided that my next book, I really wanted it to be in that genre. And so that's why I switched genres and where Just One Look came from. Your latest book, Liv Constantine, called 
Big Little Lies meets Gossip Girl and says she raced through it. Tell us about No One Needs to Know. So No One Needs to Know is my latest suspense novel, and it's set on the Upper East Side of New York. And the residents there all love to use an anonymous neighborhood forum called Urban Myth. And Urban Myth is a place where they can go and talk about neighborhood gossip anonymously. They can confess something that they've always wanted to get off their chest. They can tell a secret that they've always wanted to tell. And they can do all this because it is supposed to remain anonymous. So when Urban Myth is hacked and the true identity of the posters is made public, the neighborhood is rocked and some people will do anything to keep their secrets hidden. Is there such a thing? I mean, I know there's next door, but is there anything like that? So (laughs) yes and no, there was something like that. And it was the inspiration for this novel. When I was a new mom, I went to one of these new mom meetups in the neighborhood and one of the parents there asked me if I'd heard of this. It was an anonymous new parent forum. Mm -hmm. And she said that it was highly entertaining. And I was so curious (laughs) because I thought, what could be entertaining about a bunch of new mom posts? So I went home and I created an account. I expected to see new parents crowdsourcing something that they maybe were too embarrassed to ask their peers. And there was some of that, but what there was so much more of was people who were using this forum just sort of as a confessional. They were confessing affairs or white collar crimes. They were talking about neighborhood gossip, like teachers or coaches and saying stuff about them. And I was completely fascinated with it. It was so interesting to me that people would trust that all this would remain anonymous, but also interesting to me that people just really needed to have something to a forum where they would put this stuff out there. They just wanted to get this off their chest and I mean, maybe something cathartic about putting it out in the universe and they didn't have to hold that secret anymore. So there was that anonymous new parent forum, but it it has since ceased to exist. So people can't go on and use it anymore. Sounds like something the Catholic Church ought to get a hold of for confessionals. I mean, right? (laughs) I think so. Send in your confession. Exactly. You don't need to go to the confessional booth. Forget that. You can just uh, send them in. Brittany Presley is your audiobook narrator on this one, correct? Yes. And I I think she does such a good job. I have been searching out books that she's done. I always have an audiobook going. And when I saw that she's doing yours, I'm like, oh, that is my next audiobook listen. Since I finished my Andy Bart's book, that's the next one. (laughs) I will confess that I sometimes have a hard time listening to my own books. And this is after they're published. I just start editing them in my mind because I'm like, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. But Brittany Presley, she's so good that when I was listening Mm -hmm. to it, I found myself absorbed in the story. I wasn't self-editing. I was just like, oh, she she does this very well. I had Exe Sands do my second book, and it was like that. It was like she was reading a totally different book to me. And I was so enjoying it. It was like, (laughs) I wrote. And Vanessa Moyen did my first book, and she was awesome, too. It's just these narrators are so freaking talented. It just blows my mind. They are so talented and they just, they make books so accessible where I would not have time to read. If I have my headphones in and I'm walking my dogs or whatever, I get so many books read. 
I totally agree. I think it's like, it it helps me blow through my TBR pile. Mm -hmm. And also at sort of stressful times when I'm not able to focus on a print book, for some reason, I can focus on an audio book, maybe because I'm getting two things done. So I'm not as stressed out. I'm unloading the dishwasher and I'm (laughs) multitasking. But they're just very talented audiobook narrators. People will sometimes say to me, oh, why don't you narrate your own book? I would never do that in a million years because it's a skill. The different voices. I mean, mine Mm -hmm. would all sound like some hick from West Texas. That's what all (laughs) the characters would be. Well, what do you think? No, they won't sound like that. Better but keep going. It is a different skill, though. You know, writing is one skill, and an yeah. audio narrator is an entirely different one. Sometimes I'm writing or I'm editing, and I'm just kind of in a pickle and think, okay, walk away, walk the dogs, put on your headphones. I, I think it's a combination of the good reader and the good words, the good author. Yeah. That it does something in my brain, and all of a sudden, I'm ready to run back to my manuscript and I've got that, whatever that problem was fixed. It's just so, yeah. it's like you just kind of get out of your own little space. They work wonders for me anyway. A hundred percent. I actually will do that when I'm a little bit stuck writing. Mm-hmm. I used to just like get up and go for a walk. And I thought I needed that blank space in my mind, but that would almost like make me feel more stuck. And mm-hmm. so I started listening to audiobooks, and there was something about hearing somebody else's story you know, maybe the talent of the narrator as well, that there'd be something, a word or something that would Mm -hmm. tip me off. I'd be running back to my computer. (laughs) It actually helps me get unstuck listening to other people's work. And listening to their imagery, I keep a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and I've kept it for 10 years now. And it has like mouth, breathing, eyes. And so when I hear something it's not that I'm going to copy theirs, but it inspires me to think about now, how would you do that? And then I put it in that spreadsheet. Some of the pages have like, I don't know, 1500 entries. And so then when I go back and edit, I go back and look at my spreadsheet when I'm, when I'm in kind of final revisions and go, okay, you've said that word 17 times. What else can you say? I go back yeah. and look at that. And I really that think is- the audiobooks have helped me with that. That is so organized. I feel like I might have to steal that idea because oh, go I, for it. Because there's so many times where it's, you know, you can only call brown eyes brown so many times. I would love just a list of how other people have described eyes or a mouth or something. When I'm reading or listening, when I like a certain description, I'll put it into a draft email, but I'm telling you it's the least organized way to do it because I have like hundreds of draft emails of just language that I like. So I'll have to do the Excel spreadsheet. Well, don't be too impressed because most of my stuff, but most of my stuff ends up looking like this. And I have <laughs> these books that are not really books. I got them at my local bookstore. One of them looks like it's a book on Van Gogh and it's about this big, but you flip it open, it's an empty box. I have two of those that are full of notes like this. Okay. And so sometimes when I just can't write and I can't sit still, I pull those out. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do five of them today. I'm going to put five of them in my computer. And then I don't put another thing in there for six months. Yeah. But it's not that impressive. I like the idea. I think if I can ever get myself organized enough, then I'm going to steal that. I'll send you a screenshot. I'm not that organized, but it is nice having it. About the pacing, the big law and the pacing of your last two novels. Once you kind of knew what you were doing with the first book, how was writing different? I would love to 
tell you that I thought that it got easier. Once I wrote and published one book, everything just fell into place and I understood the overall structure. That's not, I feel like every new book, I almost want to Google how to write a book uh, because <laughs> it's, it, everything seems new to me each time. I, I get a little bit quicker, thankfully. So I guess there is some stuff that I'm learning from each book that is coming quicker. But, you know, the plotter pantser, I'm a pantser. And so when I sit down to write, I have an idea of my characters. I know the, the characters I want to write pretty well. And I have kind of a almost one to two sentence idea of what the book is about with no one needs to know. It was about an anonymous neighborhood forum that mm-hmm. gets hacked and secrets are revealed. And then from there, I sit down and start writing. I mean, I'm so impressed with the people who outline that's probably the better way to do it (laughs) and the faster way to do it. But three books in, I've just come to terms with that. This is my process that I have to figure it out while I'm writing the draft. And that's how I've done all three books. I think it ends up taking a little bit longer when you do it that way. Mm -hmm. You do often write yourself into a corner and maybe do something that the next day you're deleting a week's worth of work because (laughs) you think that isn't the direction that that character should go in. I don't know how people outline it. I'm impressed with those people. I have to write to learn where the plot is going. I often don't know how it's going to end. I'm surprised as much as the reader is surprised when I finish it. I would like to think that I'm learning something from each book, but as I'm sitting down to write a new one now, I still feel that sort of new book feeling of how do I do this again? I've outlined and stuck to the basic structure of the outline. But I've also found that when I tried to really adhere to that outline, I felt like this is not fun anymore. And the book's not as fun as I thought it was going to be. And it's I don't think the reader's going to enjoy it. And I ended up having to park the outline right. And a lot of times I'd go back and look. And I followed the outline as far as like the overall arc, the overall structure. But it kind of limited me as far as spontaneity went. I could see that. I could see that. It works for you. It works for you. But yeah, I'm not killing myself over an outline anymore because it just usually, didn't work for me. Yeah, usually about halfway in is when I'm like thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I outlined this. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew how this was going to end. But at the same time, that that would take the fun out of it. I learn as I go. And often, you know, through multiple drafts, I'm learning. Oh, yeah. So how long did it take you to write this last book? The last book was... <laughs> during COVID. So it was a little bit longer than I initially expected. When I started in February 2020, I thought things (laughs) would continue as as they always did. I didn't realize my kids would be home. So I lost a few months of writing time at the beginning of COVID. But I would say the first draft took me about four to six months, but then I edit for about another four to six months, about as much time as the first draft, I edit that first draft. Because the first draft is, for me, is really that. It's a draft. And in some places, there's even like placeholders so that I can move on from that section. I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking, I don't want to work on this section anymore. I'm just going to move on. I remember at <laughs> with this last one, when I was doing my edits, there was a placeholder at the end of the chapter, and I put, insert something suspenseful here. <laughs> And when I was revising, I was thinking, oh, well, thanks, past Lindsay. That isn't exactly helpful. But so that first draft is very much a draft and it gets a lot of work in the editing process. You can't edit what you haven't written. That's true. I put those placeholders because 
in that moment, I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours thinking of what I'm going to put that's suspenseful in that spot. Yeah. I, I'm thinking I just have to move on and get to the next chapter, figure out how this is going to end. And then hopefully you'll have the light bulb moment of what you want to put there in either your second or third draft. Well, and I kind of think about it like when you're decorating a room, you know, you get the furniture in there. You just haven't found the picture for that wall, but you found it for this and this and you get the pillows in. And then once you get all that other stuff in there, it's amazing how, oh, that's what needs to go on that wall. Because then you can see all the other parts of the room. You know what I mean? Exactly. So sometimes being impatient going, oh, I've got to get something in there really isn't serving you. Yeah. You haven't put in what's right then. And that's, I feel like when my mind is so stuck on this one thing, (laughs) I think like that now's not the time that it's going to come up with anything good. I might write something in here and then I'll end up deleting it all. So that's usually the time where I'll just drop a placeholder and move on. Although when I'm editing, I can be a little annoyed with myself that that is the placeholder that I decided to use. But uh, something suspenseful here. I love that. (laughs) Make something interesting happen here. (laughs) Surprise the reader here, but here. With a genius idea right here. Exactly. What's next for you? So I'm working on another suspense novel now. I don't say too much about them while they're work in progress because they tend to change so much in my drafts. I'll just say that it's suspense. Okay. Compare your career now with your career in law. Oh, it's so different. The things that I wish I could take from law are those imposed deadlines. I, I mean, with publishing, there are deadlines but they're kind of far off. You know, when you have a deadline that's six months or even a year from there, I find it hard to work towards that. I'm like, oh, I've got plenty of time. (laughs) In law, the deadlines were quick. And, you know, sometimes they were 24 hours from now. I wish I could impose those deadlines on myself now, but I don't. I'll give myself maybe more time than I should. But the writing life is still, you know, hard work and at at times long and predictable hours when you get your letter from your editor, that can be a bit of a surprise (laughs) because you don't know when you're going to get it and you've got to sit down and do it right then. So the unpredictability is similar, but I much prefer the writing life to the law firm life. What do you wish you had known before you began writing? Wish that I knew that. No one person's opinion of your writing is the be-all and end-all. I think that I got a little sidetracked at times in my career. If somebody didn't like something with a certain rejection, I would feel so devastated and really think, oh, really second-guess my ability to, to write, to do this at all, especially for me not coming from a writing background, coming from a a law background. I think I was always having imposter syndrome. Like I'm not a writer, I'm a lawyer. So if that person says they don't like it, then it must not be good. And you learn as you publish multiple books that that no one person is the make or break of your career. No one agent, no one editor, no one reviewer. I wish I could go back and tell myself, don't worry about the fact that that one person has rejected the book. You just have to find your one editor who loves it. And I would tell myself that. We talked about audiobooks. Are you listening to a book? Are you reading anything right now? I'm listening to a book right now called Girls and Their Horses. That's a very good audiobook. I'm not sure who the narrator is, but they 
do a fantastic job. And that's about a murder in the horse jumping world. Look at all the stuff that's gone on. It was it Churchill Downs, all the oh yeah, the horses yeah. that have got sick and injured. Yeah, that'd be kind of an interesting place to stay. A suspense. I think that that world is a very intense, you know, competitive yeah. world. Anytime the setting is intense and competitive, it's a great setting for a murder and a thriller. Do you have any advice for new writers? I do. I would probably two things. The first is to read a lot. Read in your genre, read outside of your genre. When I first started writing, I thought, well, I've got to write. I don't have time to read. And then I actually read Stephen King's On Writing. And I don't remember exactly how he said it, but it was basically, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. And that was I think that's of, what he said. Is it? Okay. He said. <laughs> and that was sort of freeing to me that reading yeah. books was integral to writing. And I find so much inspiration, both in the genre and outside of the genre. I do think reading outside of the genre is important just to see how other authors are doing it. As you said earlier, the different ways they're describing mm-hmm. so many different facets of a person. And the second piece of advice is really the most important thing is to finish your book. There's a lot of sort of noise when you're starting and you're thinking, maybe I should be on Instagram and and creating a following and a platform. And I'm sure that's different for nonfiction. They really do need a platform before they're doing it. But with fiction, it's all about your manuscript. So like try to tune out the noise, tune out how many followers somebody has who you don't have or whatever people are doing on TikTok. It's so important to finish the book and make the book the best that it can be. And you can worry about that other stuff later, but focus on finishing that book. I agree a hundred percent. I remember when I was starting, you go to a conference, you get everybody's view and you're like, yes. oh, well, how many people are following you on Twitter? Well, you don't want to, you don't need to be on Facebook. You need to be on Twitter and, you yes. know, and it cycles. And, and I think Gosh, if I could have that time back, I, I, I screwed around with that stuff. I, I've screwed around, like, especially when I was writing Big Law, and it wasn't Instagram at the time, because it's an older book. But people were like, oh, you'll never get an agent if you don't have followers, and whatever. And I just, like, threw away a bunch of time trying to mm-hmm. create something that, that, first of all, it's not my skill set. I'm not good at social media. I've never been good at social media. I've, I've resigned myself to the fact that I never will be. It was a waste of time. When I got an agent, she didn't care about my following. Like fiction's just it's your book. It's your it's, book. It's your book. They only care if about your not, book. Mm-hmm. Is your book good? Can they sell your mm-hmm. book? And your publisher only cares that they can sell their book too. Like it's just yeah. it's how good yeah. is the book? And so if I could just take that time back <laughs> and put it into the book. <laughs> I yeah, want two more books written. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lindsay. Well, thanks so much for having me. To learn more, visit lindsayjcameron.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.